Saturday, Austin, Texas. The Texas Longhorns actually played college football against the UTEP Miners. And indecency with a minor was committed. No charges will be filed, Kevin. Oh, man. Yeah, they're getting the Jeffrey Epstein deal in Florida. Uh, I'm, I'm referring to minor M-I-N-E-R, so I'm oh. not sure where you're well, yeah, well played. We got that on the text line at 1230 a.m. Oh, really? Uh, I thought I was original on that one, damn it. Well, I'm still titling the podcast Indecency with a Minor, so okay. deal with it. All right, well, yeah, because we didn't talk about that, so you did come up with that on your own, unless you were that texter. We were kind of, you know, no, wondering. Texter, texter, like at 1230. <laughs> Not to uh, degrade your, your fine audience in any way, but uh, that's not really my wheelhouse of texting uh, a radio, a sports radio show at midnight. <laughs> oh well, there's a lot of people that are listening that probably did. So I hope you feel as judgmental as as you came <laughs> off there, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I apologize to any listeners who are doing that. That's not my thing. And you know what? The Hellraisers is a hell of an organization. So no, I have no problem with you. Uh, all right, man. Well, we've seen a lot of openers. We've seen a lot of Texas teams that had a lot of skill position talent. And we just didn't feel like they were ever utilized to that, especially in a game like this where you should beat someone's brains out and you should look a lot faster and you should be galloping in free space. And defensively, you should stifle them. You were the first one. You've been saying it for months now. UTEP is an FCS team and they wouldn't be. God knows how they would survive at the top level of that. But. Still, I, I like what we saw, and there's only so much you can take out of it, but I really felt good about the coordinators. And there have been first games where they've even won 45-10, to 10, where I didn't feel that good about the coordinators. We talked about the wide receiver talent. I still think there's going to be tons of that, even with Jordan Whittington out three to four weeks. Uh, we can get into Kai Money. Uh, but, you know, you talked about Brendan Schooler, and he looks like a guy who could be a really good fourth receiver here and and help them out. And once again, I know they're, they were kind of going up against air, but am I overblowing it to, to be pretty satisfied even long-term with what I saw, especially from those coordinators? No, you should be excited. And, hey, man, let's, uh, let's give ourselves a little props on this one because we titled the last podcast – Always bet on Black, right? Our preview of the UTEP game right. and suggesting that Tariq Black, this is going to be a little show out game for him. And I think he did exactly that. And then we've been telling people, hey, look, UTEP's real, real bad. And we still had nervous Nellies and you probably heard him on the Colin show. We, I certainly had him on the inside Texas board. And they're like, oh, I think Texas is going to mess around and we're going to win 38 to 14. And it's like, no, guys, like that's that's not on the table. And uh, even as, as badly as Texas pummeled UTEP, what I loved, particularly on the offensive side, was the unfettered aggression that Yursich showed all game in terms of play calling, play design, uh, letting Casey Thompson actually run the offense. I yeah. mean, that's a Casey Thompson I didn't know existed. That guy can throw the football. Yeah, no, he, he can spin it. I, I love the touchdown pass that he threw to Marcus Washington specifically. But we talked about it, uh, even even on the offsides. I mean, look, it was a nose guard, so the easiest thing to notice is that and know you have a free play. But he, you know, the recognition with that play and other stuff seemed to be quicker mentally 
he's gotten better, and you're right. I, I didn't realize he can spin it uh, the way he did last or a couple nights ago. Yeah, I mean, I, one of the best throws of the night, and by the way, Sam was freaking dead on in terms of ball placement. You think he likes? Night. You think he likes this offense? Oh my God, I cannot so, imagine like, what it must feel like to run this offense compared to the utter dog shit he's been slogging through for the last three years. So, 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 hey, and he has to feel he has to feel like a horse without a bridle. Oh right, exactly. Well, I I can tell you this that, and I will not. Um, uh, won't release obviously the source, but I know that he had talked to someone and said that he felt really, really damn good about this team. And I think Sam's pretty honest about that, especially maybe behind closed doors. And he's got a really good feel, but you could tell just from talking to the Westlake connection that I had that who had, who talks to Sam, that, that th- there was just a lot of excitement and he felt like this was going to be a great offense and it's only one game, but hell first play, you know, uh, that had an RPO look. We were debating that on the show today, Rod, because of Sam's ball placement exactly, and that may have been almost like an RPO, but you know you're going to go with the passing. Uh, and he ended up – but if you look at the design, it actually looked like it was a true RPO with Whittington running the flare screen, and then you've got the skinny post. But on the left side, you're all crashing in and blocking. Uh, either way – we saw Washington's, uh, or I'm sorry, Oklahoma State run that a bunch. Mason Rudolph, James Washington. You can think about the guys when Yursich was there, especially. That I loved how he started off with that. And like you said, I mean, Texas in the past, especially in these games, has had the habit of being too nice with the younger brother who you're five inches taller than and you're playing one on one. No, first possession, go to the hoop, put him on his ass, and finish and one. And in his first five shots, you're not letting him get get off. You're blocking him. Yeah, you swat him into the windows so your right. mom comes out and yells at you. Yeah, right? let and him let him get a shot off. Yeah, let him come on. It's like no, he needs to learn. He needs to learn that life is mean and cruel. Right. <laughs> he needs he needs to improve. Uh, but yeah, I've got so many thoughts. So I, I meant to finish my thought on Casey Thompson. The drop that Marcus Washington had later made up for on that, on that post that you talked about for the touchdown, the drop was one of the better throws of the entire night yeah. that Casey Thompson put in there. It was a beautiful throw. And so we saw some good stuff from Casey. doesn't mean he's going to be the starter next year, but it does mean I feel a lot better about backup. Um, you're absolutely right about Yursich putting his foot on the throat of UTEP, running tempo. I mean, Kevin, we saw more stuff and more play design in one game in a throwaway football game against UTEP, we knew we were going to win, than the entirety of the last season combined. It, How it, is that even possible? It, it's sad. I mean, with the stack formation, they go to trips, They and they actually messed around more with personnel. Rod and I were talking about this on the show today, with personnel and in formations, which are two different things. And ideally, you want to be able to use the same personnel and be able to turn that into a variety of formations. And that's where it makes it really sure. really, di- right, really difficult for the defense to scheme that, and they almost have to pick their poison. And I'm not sure Texas will be able to do that. I, we did see some H-back stuff, true H-back stuff, like offset with, with Cade Brewer, and he looked good. Uh, I, 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 feel, I, I feel cautiously optimistic about the tight ends and how they're going to try and use him. We'll see if Cade can be that kind of blocker that Andrew Beck was. But, look, they didn't show shit in the running game. 
And because in a big game, in big moments, Sam will be part of that running game and will be a true option. It was all real basic stuff. They still ran for 6.3 a carry. That's exactly right. And what's amazing is so people always have this thing of like, what are we going to hold back? We need to hold back some stuff for, it's like, no, the idea is to get good at what you run. And it's also to put stuff on film. So the opposing defensive coordinator in a short week has to pick his poison of what to prepare his guys for. So that's exactly why you run that little option with Hudson card late in the game on what looks like a throwaway down you run that little tight end option with Malcolm Epps, right? I love, 40 yards. I love that play. I loved it too. And you know what? You just put that on film. And so now an opposing DC and the grad assistants who are breaking down the Texas film, they're going to be like, oh, we got to get that on the package. The DC is going to want to see that. All right. So are you going to spend a practice uh, period teaching that and how the responsibilities are? And I mean, wouldn't you rather be teaching like our mesh concepts in the passing game? I mean, that's the point of Yursich doing all that stuff. And that's what drives me crazy when people are like, did we show too much? It's like, show everything. There's not a finite amount of offense. Yursich has more than one idea. Like, we're fine. We're good. We got a lot of stuff still, still in the holster. And uh, that was the exciting thing. The aggression, the tempo. We, we talked about dot average depth of target. I mean, that that was not a dink and dunk Texas offense. That was Sam Ellinger dropping back in, in play action often and looking down the field and and waiting to see those late breaking routes develop and see if he can score. Yeah. And that is that just puts incredible pressure on the defense. With, with also some underneath stuff uh, with that, which is always good if you can change, you know, and have different levels and force them to cover a variety and multitude of levels then all of a sudden it it makes it a hell of a lot tougher to stop yeah I don't think they showed too much I mean look you got to forgive us Texas fans that look we, we've been eating pretty bad stew forever so yeah. now that now that we're eating really top-notch stuff like we're gonna think you know everything's gonna be really rich and and flavorful for us and I think that's kind of what the way Texas fans are because the reality is is they actually didn't show anything that that is is exotic or a trick play for someone like Yursich. I think you're exactly right. He's got a lot more in the bag, and if you show a double reverse in a game like that, you scratch your head. But actually, even the play with Card and Epps, they're going to run that enough. That's going to be a staple. They're, they're, that's not Greg Davis saving something for the third quarter against OU. Yeah, that's exactly right. And even some of the more basic stuff, if you look at it and you break it down, it's actually – it's really clever stuff that we can duplicate in different varieties and different forms. And it's going to create the same conflict for the defense. And a great example of that was the second possession that Texas had where they Sam threw the touchdown to Cade Brewer. Yes. Wide open. Well, you saw that Josh Moore was also wide ass open and behind Cade Brewer in the end zone. Right. And and also quicker because Brewer was almost like a, essentially kind of like a delay it's not a true delay but he was the secondary release and talk about again a different level that's it and so what they actually did is the what set that up and if you go back and rewatch the replay what set it up is they had jordan whittington go in deep motion behind sam and i think sam might have been in the pistol i'm not sure it doesn't matter it's maybe maybe was just in shotgun but they had whittington go behind the formation and get a lot of depth to suggest that we were just going to flip it to him 
and do a little uh, screen. And so that's exactly what we faked. And Sam really sold it. He stared him down. And Sam's got pretty strong hands. And so he was able to kind of get a good pump fake that, you know, not just a typical little, you know, I'm, I'm doing a little motion uh, like you're holding a shake weight. He actually like put a little power on it. Like I'm about to flip it out to Whittington. Both UTEP guys sprinted to go stop that. And so what happened is Moore releases on his normal route. He's wide ass open in the end zone. And then Yursich has Cade Brewer slightly delay as if he's going to be a blocker. And then he does the late release, as you just said. So what you're actually doing is you're staggering the timing of the play. Right. And UTEP didn't defend a single one of the guys that <laughs> yeah, he's designed no. to go to. And it's such an easy read for the quarterback because what it is is Sam is supposed to look for Josh and then look for Cade based on the delay and the timing. And both guys were wide-ass open, so it was just like fielder's choice. And yeah, Josh Moore's already eaten, so I'll throw it to Cade. Yeah, and I also think some of that is, I almost feel like that one, because I think that is the correct read, but almost on that one, whether he had just a preconceived notion or um, I just think in general that you expect Cade to be the one that kind of surprises people and open. That's the end of the trick. That's that. That's the pay. You're, you're right. That's yeah, the payoff. I, I Josh is the Josh is the clear out, and then Cade is the delay wide open I mean, guy running down the seam. If you don't bust a coverage as bad as they did, then that's the case. But there's no doubt. I mean, he he was probably shocked. I mean, when he went back and looked and saw just how wide ass open Moore was, because that was that was busted coverage, obviously. Yeah, exactly right. And I, I just. I had high expectations for Yursich, and he exceeded them. And it's not about what we did to a bad football team. It's how we did it. Yep. And, and that kind of stuff, the how we did it, is scalable against better defenses. And that's what's exciting to me. Yeah, it is. And I'm not sure how much better the defenses are going to get. Do you see what Houston Baptist did to Tech? I mean, they took that oh thing to God. the wire. 35-33, if you all missed it. Tech won. But I was I was laughing uh, back and forth with uh, with my brother-in-law about it. He's a tech grad. And, you know, they felt like Wells and the defense was getting better. The Houston Baptist quarterback threw for 567 yards. They fumbled twice and two turnovers inside the tech five. Like they could have won that by 10. Yeah. I, I, so how about this? Let's hit Texas and, and explore that. And then at the end, let's talk about the garbage that is the Big 12. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that. I, I was able to catch some of those games, and I've got some strong opinions. And, boy, we're talking about a down OU and potentially a down TCU. Uh, we got a down Big 12, my man. Hey. And uh, if Herman ain't going to do it this year, he ain't going to do it. Which is exactly what I told you a couple of weeks ago. I said the vacuum is big. Now, I didn't think it was going to be this big of a vacuum. But, yeah, the Big 12 looks down, and a lot of it's with – offensive lines uh which was a question with iowa state and kansas state traditionally programs like that that have younger and inexperienced offensive lines really struggle because and i'm not even talking about clemson alabama ohio state where you could say hey you know they've got a true sophomore and a true freshman yeah those guys are different at that place but but really at kind of smaller programs like that that are good they're really good when they've got an older veteran offensive line, and then a couple skill guys to go around it. But outside of that, uh, pretty interesting what, uh, what went on there. Texas defensively kind of shifting to them. 
I think they could take advantage of that in the league. What did you see from the Texas defense? What really stood out? Well, I thought they lined up right. I thought they tackled pretty well. I only counted four missed tackles on the game. Uh, I thought they had several good one-on-one tackles in space. Hankins is a legit power runner, and they did a pretty good job tackling him, even though he moved the, cha- you know, he moved the pile a few times on us. Uh, they really eliminated the UTEP wide receivers, who were a couple of them were decent. And they just completely took them out of the game. We'll talk about Josh Thompson in a second, who utterly manhandled the UTEP receivers that he was on. And uh, just overall, I thought they played well. I mean, it looked like a, a defense that's still growing, still learning the scheme. But they did a lot of pretty basic stuff and just ran their stuff and did a good job. I mean, they played good situational defense. Texas held UTEP to 4 of 19 on money down conversions. That's third and fourth down. Uh, most people know the last two years under Orlando, Texas has been allowing 45, 46, 47 percent conversion rates on third down, even to bad teams. Right. And that you know was cut in more than half, which is huge. Obviously played well in the red zone and then limited big plays. UTEP's longest play of the night was a 30-yard pass. Longest run was an 18-yard run against the second and third team defense. I mean, if you play well in the red zone, limit big plays, and play well on third and fourth down – that's good defense in modern college football. So I was excited about that. And so we've got a lot of different stuff to cover. It's such an exciting thing to actually be able to talk about football. So can I rapid fire a few players and you just give me your reaction? Yeah, go for it. All right, Josh Thompson. Oh, man. Uh, Worried about the hips in quarters coverage, and that still may be a problem, but I am so glad to say I was wrong after week one. I did have some question marks about – just how sometimes coaches can fall in love, and especially with the lack of spring and all that, is this guy really going to be the starter? Uh, he, it was, you know, shades of a of a lighter Quentin Jammer with the press coverage. That is something that with his long arms he'll be able to bring, and he's playing with a certain confidence right now. Uh, hell of a play on the pick. That was textbook press and then released to the football. Uh, mm-hmm. Really, really glad to say that I was wrong after after one week. But it, obviously, in the Big Twelve, the the kitchen is going to get a lot hotter. I mean, even if the offensive lines aren't great, this is still going to be a passing league and tough for DBs. Yeah, that is. I've heard that called. I think it's called different things, but I've always heard it called, or I've called it press and bail. Yeah, which is you give a hard shot and then you bail out. Right, right. Expecting expecting the the quarterback to try to make that read and throw it on timing. That's what Josh did. He shocked the receiver, bailed out. That's a classic Richard Sherman move, if you've yeah. ever watched him oh, in his yeah. time. And uh, he, he played that quarterback like a fiddle. So people just, I think, I think maybe less educated football fans watching that just thought the quarterback threw a shitty pass. But he actually short-circuited that quarterback's read, and, and he turned what the quarterback thought was going to be a timing route into a non-route for the receiver. And right. the receiver didn't help out the old quarterback either because no. the receiver just quit. But, yeah, the other thing that was subtle, I don't know if you, you saw this, but so obviously Thompson was on the island, right? So he was put out there one-on-one. They told him, you've got help inside, but anything outside, anything deep, that's all you. Right. And so his job is to make sure that he, he wants to keep the wide receiver when they run a vertical from – keeping their line he wants to push them off their line into the chalk into the sideline because that creates a a really tiny window for the quarterback and you basically have to be Aaron Rodgers to hit that more than a third of the time 
And that's what he did all game. He kept taking those dudes five yards from the line of scrimmage and 10 yards within their route, he put his hips and his hand on them. He's not going to get a call doing this because of the way he did it. And he just starts pushing them as he's running, and he just gets them on the chalk. And they're basically running uh, on, on the one inch, you know, one inch from the, the chalk, and there's just no window there. And that is classic press coverage you know, on, on the sideline vertical. I was very excited. Obviously, he's going to get an upgrade in the level of receiver he faces against Tech both in terms of quality and, and size and physicality. They've got Ezekuma and they've got Vasher, who are both big guys. So I want to see him do it again. Uh, once he you know, heals his ear, um, I think he should be good to go. I was excited about Josh Thompson. Sorry we spent so much time on him, but that was kind of my defensive MVP. Let me give you another guy. Alfred Collins. Oh, I, I was really excited heading into the game. I am kind of a football slut. You change a lot as you get older, and you should get more sophisticated and obviously just know more because you, you've been following it for uh, a lot longer. But I still have that 12-year-old in me with freshmen that I'm excited to see. And, you know, I knew they were going to be playing him more inside. I was really impressed. I was impressed, actually. I Just guys, usually freshmen that size or pad level is off, and he knows how to play with his pads. And I think he can only get better, but his quickness – uh, this is a guy who's really going to help out this year. And if you have no context and you just see a picture of him on the field with no one around him and you look at how he's built, one, it's hard to believe he's a freshman. Two, if you guess, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that guy's what, 6'5", 255, 260? Right. He's 305. Yeah. No, he, he doesn't look it. Um, and there's still a lot of improvement. I mean, he's you know he's still really – somewhat raw but but I, I was impressed kind of just with with what he was able to do he got the only sack was that did you I'm, was there any worry for you that Texas only got home once because I mean for me it's more about hurries and pressures and they did that yeah they did uh I think some of it too might have been guys getting used to letting it go on on situational downs and also you know I looked on the on the, I did a little bit of a rewatch I didn't get to do the whole thing but it looked to me like we were pretty much playing run on a lot of like neutral downs. And you could see that with how Osai was playing a little snug on the weak side. And they were trying to protect Overshone from, you know, getting run downhill on. They had, I mean, a couple of times more Ojomo. He's <laughs> playing strong side defensive end. And he's in a four-point stance. Yeah. Which, yeah. which is what you do on like goal line defense, people. Like, <laughs> right. That's when you're playing all run, right? And so Moro is not, you know, he's being very clear that he's out there to submarine the run first and foremost. And so I think that was maybe top of mind for some of these guys early. Also, I just think they're going to have to learn to let it go a little bit. Yeah. You know, they're, they've got some muscle memory to work through and they need to, to learn to let it go and, and get upfield and penetrate and be confident. So I think it's going to get better. UTEP also did a pretty good job. I mean, I mentioned this in the preview. They keep their tight end in, yep. and they use him as a six offensive lineman. They also kept the running back in more than half of passing downs. So that's a seven-man protection. You're not just going to, like, fly through that with a four or even a five-man rush, right? Right. No, no, you're right. So I, I'm not hugely concerned. You had mentioned that. By the way, Marcus Tillman also had a sack to go with Collins. I would forgot about that one, but uh, so Texas had two, but – yeah, we'll see against Texas Tech, and I expect a lot of these teams to, to be much improved. 
for a variety of reasons than than some of the Big 12 teams were. Like we said, we'll get to that a little bit. All right, let me throw it back to you right now. Let me give you a name and just kind of see what see what you think. Josh Moore. Yeah, I mean, did you do offense or defense? All right, Josh Moore. Uh, he is what I thought. He is exactly what I thought we were going to get from from him. There is a reason that he still is on the football team. We don't need to to talk about that anymore, but there's a reason the coaches kept that guy around. And I I just think he's very quick. You and I, we both love like a, a big, strong receiver, a big target. But you and I both love receivers who can separate even yeah, more. Right. And Josh Moore can separate. And yeah, he's too skinny. And yeah, he doesn't have a clear sort of projection, right? Everyone, you kind of look at a receiver and you think, oh, well, that's, that's an X or that's a Y or that's a, that's a classic H, a classic slot receiver. Moore can kind of play everywhere. He can kind of get away from press coverage because he's slippery and there's a cost to pressing him. And if you kind of miss, he can really embarrass you because you're not going to be able to make up ground when he starts making cuts. Right. And I just think he can separate. And I think he's a scrappy dude. And I think he's got a lot of quickness. So I don't think he's going to be our feature receiver, but I think he's going to be one of the featured receivers. And he, his performance is exactly what I expected. Yeah, I, I mean, he is really skinny. And you do kind of wonder about strength. But to go with Black, I like kind of how they complement each other. You know, if you get Whittington back to go with Smith, at the slot, the H, and then Schooler, you were right, man, and I went back and looked at um, as much as I could at Oregon, and it's not a surprise. This guy's a pretty good receiver. We'll see what we get out of Washington. Um, but overall, I mean, I think, the you know, Tom Herman said it today. He said, look, he said, there's not one star receiver, but we've got six or seven really good ones, and we're going to be able to spread it out. I actually think because you have a quarterback who can do that, then that's obviously the way to go because that's almost impossible to defend if your quarterback can just see what's there and go that direction. All right, let's um, let's stay with the receivers. And unfortunately, you were right about this one, at least through one game. Brennan Eagles, thoughts? That uh, is what I expected. And I think the best thing for Brennan Eagles – is that Texas threw for over 400 yards in a half of play, up 45-3 to three at halftime, and he doesn't have a catch. I think that's a good thing for him to see. Because a guy like that needs to understand, like, we're going to do this with or without you. And we'd rather do it with you. Now, he did have that nice play on the deflection late in the game, scored that touchdown. Yeah. Uh, that's great. Uh, I saw a couple of other routes where he didn't run a very good route or didn't give great effort. Uh, Sam threw a somewhat inaccurate ball to him and he kind of uh, eagle armed it a little bit, right? He didn't, he didn't fully stretch for it. Uh, It wasn't an accurate throw, but it's just little things like that, that, you know, you just, it's, it's not good. And when Tariq black goes out there and shows out and he's hyper aggressive and he's snatching the ball out of the air, right? Yeah. And he's so excited. He's actually the turf monster is tackling him. And, you know, he's trying to maximize every run, sometimes to even his detriment, right? You know, two hands on the ball in the crowd there, Tariq. Right. But, you know, that it's hard for a coach to take a guy like Tariq Black and cut back his snaps to give more to Brennan Eagles. And uh, Brennan, uh, you know, he needs to show us a little bit more. 
I agree. Um, I think it's nice that what I felt comfortable with after seeing Black, and Black was fantastic. And I, you know, I told you that the day they got him, that podcast we did. Uh, I watch a, t- I mean, I watch a ton of college football. I think a lot of us do, but uh, watch a lot of Michigan. I watch a lot of Michigan because I, I was just, I was really curious. I mean, I watch every game Michigan plays, and I, I was curious. Maybe that some of that's growing up a Notre Dame fan, but with Harbaugh who I thought was a hell of a coach and everything he had done from San Diego to Stanford that all the way up um, that, that, that Michigan was kind of one, it was going to, it was going to be a fun sociological experiment, put it that way. And blacks, mm. one of those guys who he brought in, remember he was really getting stuff going with recruiting. They got Donovan peoples, Jones and Tariq black, and he only played six games his first two years, but I, the six games, the guy was dynamic. And so I'm going to knock on wood and just hope he stays healthy. But everything he did, he can do more than that. Like, the guy the guy is, is electric to some degree. Yeah, he's got something after the catch, and I think he carries his weight well. Yeah. I think he's a bigger guy than he looks on the field. I think he's, he's hard to get down on the ground. And if, as long as he keeps himself up, <laughs> he, he got so excited and fired up. I know. He stumbled and, and tackled himself twice. But – that's just jitters, man, and I think he's going to work that out. All right, I'm going to flip this back on you. Talk to me about the RBBC running back by committee. I'm fine with it, and I'm fine with with them not running as much early on. I think people were really surprised by that. We got a couple of texts today saying, man, I, you know, the, the pass-to-run ratio against a team like that early on especially was interesting. So a couple guys started – who weren't on the last depth chart we talked about, I think, during the last podcast. And that would be one was Court Jaquas, the linebacker, who ended up starting instead of Juwan Mitchell. But then on offense, getting back to your running back by committee, Roshan got the start. He had eight carries for 38 yards. Keontae Ingram had nine carries for 44 yards. Uh, Then Bijan had five carries for 38 yards. Look, they all were at least at, at five a clip, and Bijan was at seven point five. I like it. Uh, just just like the receivers, I don't want there to be one obvious thing, and this may tighten up a little bit, dear, if they get into big moments. But I don't think it's going to tighten up that much. I think you're going to see all three of those guys. I love the running back by committee, and I will defend it because as Texas fans. There's something in us that's hardwired for the bell cow running back. Yep. Earl Campbell, Ricky Williams, Jamal Charles late in his career, just that guy. And he's going to get 25, 30 carries and he's going to freaking put the, the team on his shoulders, right? Cedric Benson, of course, ultimate workhorse. And we just got to get over it because Bijan is young, but he's, and he's very talented, but he's young. Uh, Roshan He's a good football player, man. He's just good. You, yeah. you, you've got to play him. And Keontae, who I thought looked very good on several of his runs and looked quick, you've got to manage his load. The fact is, if you give Keontae too much work, he, he'll break. Yeah. So why do we want to break that toy? Let's give him 12 or 15 touches. Let's, you know, they had 24 touches in total, nine touches, eight touches, and seven touches because Bijan had two catches. So – 
I love that distribution. It's not going to always be that perfect, as you mentioned. I mean, there might be some games where Bijan gets four carries and Roshan and Keontae split the load, or right. or maybe one guy gets a little tweak and suddenly you know Roshan gets 21 carries against somebody. That's that's fine. It doesn't matter. The point is, if you total it up at the end of the year, I think you're going to have three guys with over 100 carries. And I love it. I think it's great. I think it keeps them fresh. I think it keeps them competing with each other. And I think it gives us a lot of different uh, abilities and, and contrasting styles. And I like the fact that all three can catch the ball. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, the reality is they don't have one guy who should get that many carries. And I agree with pretty much everything you said, but especially with Keontae, I'm fine with that. And he, he brings something that certainly Roshan doesn't. Roshan kind of separates from the other two because he's really is just a hard-nosed, physical, really good runner. And he can do a lot of different things. Things Bijan is, but he's he's not he's not going to be a guy who's going to park one, right? Bijan can park one, and Keontae can park one. So they all kind of complement each other in some way. So I, I'm down with it. Hey, think about some of the best, especially modern day backfields Texas has had. It's two or three guys. I mean, if you want to count Vince, which you should. Jamal Charles, Selvin, Selvin Young, Ramonce Taylor. You can go back to Priest Holmes, Ricky, and Sean Mitchell. Yep. Yeah, I've got no, I've got no issues because the running back by committee can be forced sometimes a little bit in that you have kind of at the other side of the scale, right? There's no dominant guy. That's one of the reasons you have it. But the other side of the scale is the coach will have that little pet who's not very good. Yeah. And for whatever reason, they're trying to give this dude snaps. And I'm not going to mention guys, but we know who some of those guys are. And it, it's just like you need a minimal qualifying level of ability, and all three of those guys have it. Yep. And I'm, I'm very comfortable with the ball in all three of those guys' hands. And I know this is – everyone's got their choice. And, oh, we need to feed Bijan, and we need to feed Roshan, we need to feed Keontae. It's like, no, not really. <laughs> we can feed a hot hand in a particular game. But I like all three dudes being involved. And it also spreads your risk. Yeah. All right, you got an, another name? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to keep the steam. Talk to me about the tight end by committee, the TEBC. We saw four tight ends, Kevin. Yeah, we did. And I, I'm still I'm cautiously optimistic with the tight ends. Um, I, I think that, that kind of like with the, the secondary or at least the cornerbacks, um, there's still a lot of data that we need to see, and, and, that, and that's obviously the competition's only going to get tougher. But I like what they did with Cade. I mean, I, they're going to try and use him as that H-back. I saw him throw some pretty good blocks, and I know he's a willing blocker, but can he be, you know, because, and it's not a shot at Cade. There's not many people that can be that versatile. There, you know, and look, Andrew Beck did a good job. They'd split him out in five wide, and he'd run that little slant. That's pretty much all he ran. And mm-hmm. there was just such a lack of attention there. It was almost like, uh, Russell Westbrook shooting a three in this series. You know, it's like, oh, we're not even going to look at that because you're not going to throw, and occasionally they would, and he ended up being a, a good receiver. But he wasn't an all-around guy. The George Kittles, the guys, that, that those are few and far between. So I just hope they don't ask him to do too much because I, I just got a feeling, and we saw a little bit of it, a, a little bit of it. They're going to try and play around with that 11 personnel and then change different formations, and sometimes that'll mean he's going to be the lead blocker when I think he's a, a just a really good receiver, and that's what he should focus on. But you know what? M- maybe they'll use the H stuff, and maybe it'll work. We'll see. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think 
you are correct about some of those things being few and far between. George Kittles are rare for a reason. And if you don't have that complete guy, then try to attack that deficit with a bunch of complementary skill sets. Yeah. And I think one thing that is rare and few and far between that we're very fortunate to offer our listeners is Gabe and his awesome team of mortgage professionals. Gabe is at 832-557-1095. Last podcast, which sounded like I was doing it from an outhouse. I apologize for the sound (laughs) quality. But one thing I mentioned was that... Hey, and by the way, by by the way, I did tell you before for people that are asking, I was like, hey, it sounds a little off, but sometimes it's worked that way. Yeah, there's nothing I could do about it, unfortunately. I'm I'm hanging out in the outhouse. That's where I I feel comfortable, and that's where I'm going to do my pod. So. Economically, we're in a rare time in terms of interest rates. This is a great time to pay yourself back with a refi of your existing mortgage. But Paul, you say, I just did a refi. I've got a sizzling 3.75 rate on my 30-year. Yep, and you can do better. The fact is, if you've got a 3.5% interest rate or better, uh, or I should say, or worse, yeah. on your 30-year mortgage, you should refi. And that's not my opinion because Gabe is telling us that, that's what the numbers tell us. And the reason is, if you have a $300,000 mortgage, Gabe can save you over $100 a month on your payment with a refi. That's a savings of, of over $1,200 a year. You're going to save over about, oh, I don't know, $37,000 over the life of your loan. That sounds pretty cool. If you happen to have a 4% interest rate, which is still screamingly low historically, you absolutely need to pick up the phone and call Gabe at 832-557-1095 because at 4%, he can save you almost $200 a month on your mortgage payment. He's going to save you over $2,250 a year, and that's going to be $67,000 over the lifetime of your loan. Even if you just refied, you should refi again. And just run the numbers, call Gabe, he'll show it to you. He, could, he has creative solutions, so you don't have to take money out of your pocket or put a bunch of money down or anything like that. 832-557-1095. And of course, if you're buying a new house, Gabe is going to beat any of your best offers. And anyone who calls in, and that's including the refis, he's going to take $500 off of your appraisal just for mentioning this podcast. Mention Paul, mention Kevin, mention 59 to 3, and Gabe is going to hook you up. Kevin, the one guy I wanted to mention. Well, actually, yeah, I, I wasn't done with the tight ends here. Are you going to stick with them? Yeah, that's what I'm going to mention. Okay, okay beautiful, beautiful. So so quickly. I'm, I'm a freaking radio professional. Yeah, you are. You are. I mean, we're, we're, we're feeling it here. Sorry, I had someone. I wanted you to react to Graydon Lybrock. Uh, I will. We had someone come in during that, so that was actually perfect timing. Uh, need, oh, good. Need to get a lock on this. Lybrock. Yeah, so Lybrock, uh, two catches, 11 yards, and I, I like him physically, just the way he looks. You know I'm a, I'm actually a secret fan, not secret, I think I've talked about it, of Jared Wiley. Like I, I think Wiley, with his feet, there was just something about him last year in limited time that I thought I would love to see an OC get, get a hold of this guy. He's a really good athlete, too. And then who else? Then Malcolm Epps, who obviously had to play with Hudson Card. It was good to see that. We talked about that earlier. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic that there's some depth. Yeah, there's definitely some depth. The thing I liked about Braden Lybrock that I really didn't notice until the rewatch, he was the best blocker of all the tight ends yes. in space. Yeah, so when he, he was. was split out, and it's, it's one of these skills that guys have, and it's not necessarily just about your physicality. It's about your footwork. And there's some guys that are really good at hunting smalls, hunting defensive backs. 
And some of the bigger tight ends, they don't have the agility to really get those guys in space, right? They get matadored, they get olayed. Braden Lybrock, UTEP's defensive backs kept trying to sort of do that with him, you know, treating him like he's a tight end. And he would get contact with him and plant him. And that was really interesting for me to see. I think that's something the coaches are going to notice. And he looked really comfortable split out. I like Lybrock a lot. I think he might have earned more snaps. And I think Kate Brewer probably held serve on being tight end number one off, off the, you know, starting the game for a while. But we're going we're gonna to see, and I think like the running backs and like the receivers, I think certain guys will suit certain game plans better. And I think all of them are going to get, get their opportunity. But Lybrock was kind of the forgotten man. I saw some things against UTEP that maybe we should not forget about him. Yeah, especially with someone like Yurcic, who's going to be creative. Like you said, you can split him out and almost use him like a, uh, <laughs> like a tackle over, but a tight end split out. And, and you can do screen stuff. You can do a lot of different stuff with that. So uh, good call on that. What about Joseph Osai? Thoughts? He was good. He played the run well. Uh, he's obviously very physical at the point of attack. Hey, Kevin, when are people going to get the freaking memo not to run the ball at us on third and short and fourth and short? Yeah. No. Well, what's that about? I don't, I don't know. Uh, Do coaches watch film ever? <laughs> uh, I, I thought Osai was good, man. He had eight tackles. Uh, he probably, I think he had one quarterback hurry. And that we talked about, I mean, they, they probably want to w- wish the stats were a little bit heavier on that. But you brought up a good point. I mean, you're keeping seven in a lot of the time. You're just trying to get rid of it on, on different timing routes. But overall, I like him. I like him down there. I like the jack. They even almost played like two jacks at one point with two defensive ends that were standing up. And, yeah, with Leto. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then with two tackles. Uh, all in all, though, they, they did what they should have. I mean, they, they held their ground, and it was nice to see the ass-whipping from the defense. What, what, what were your thoughts on Chris Ash? I was pleased. I, I think the defense just has a more coordinated, more coached feel. I thought the defensive backs played better football. Caden Stearns actually took a couple of bad angles that he didn't get punished for because of the, the quality of the opponent. Right. He needs to be careful about that. Chris Brown you didn't hear his name called a lot. A lot of it was because of stuff he negated before it could happen. And he was, you know, passing off receivers. He was doing smart things to, to jump her out. And that made the, the gap, you know, Gavin Hardison. And then the, the guy who's the backup reset and throw to a different receiver. And that's sometimes what your safety take away is, is just as important and as relevant as the plays they make on the field, you know, that show up in the box score. So I was happy with that. I was happy at the coaching improvement level at cornerback. I mean, Deshaun Jameson, Jalen Green, Keanu Watson, and Josh Thompson, they looked much better coached yeah. just in terms of technique. They did. Trail technique, press coverage. I mean, all the basics of the position, they just looked better. What did you think? Uh, absolutely. And I was, I was making sure that what I was seeing wasn't, you know, me just – seeing something that wasn't there or wishing something was there with Rod. And and I said, hey, man, I said, it, it, individually, like, their technique looks a hell of a lot better. Am I seeing something? And he goes, oh, no. He said, I, I, I mean, Rod sniffed that out like three plays into it. And he's seeing stuff, and he's thinking, thank God. And a lot of that, like you said, is the press. I mean, we were screaming for the last year or two to, please, can we get some press coverage? You know, and the other thing, too, is, 
You want to press more when you're actually coming after people. That's when you really have to press, even though that may be counterintuitive that, no, you want to relax there a little bit. No, you got to throw timing off, and, and I thought they did that. That's going to get a lot tougher when they start seeing much better receivers and much more creative formations, but they passed the test. What about Overshone? Uh, I thought he looked good. I thought he looked comfortable in that role. Yeah, he showed good range. Uh, a couple of times UTEP tried to test him by doubling the play side D-line, yeah. not even blocking him, and just having him try to, ha- try to tackle Hankins one-on-one between the tackles, and Overshone went low and did his job. So that was good. I also like the fact that he held his water in there a little bit. You know, when you're a really fast, really quick, really dynamic guy, as a play is developing, you want to take steps. You want to move around. You want to do what you're good at. And sometimes as a linebacker, is until the play develops in front of you, you need to just stand still. And over, you know, DeMarvian did that. And that was a good, good thing for me to see. I don't think a lot of teams are going to be running wide weak side with Joseph Osai backed up by Overshow, and I don't think that's going to happen a lot. Um, but one thing I will caution is if Court Jaquez stays out there at the other linebacker and you got Ajomo out there playing that defensive end strong side, that may be something where teams will want, try to test us with a race to the sideline no running question. outside zone. No question. And then also I think people will – Look at, uh, I think they're pronouncing it Jake West. Um, oh, Jake West, sorry. Jake, yeah, that's all right. We're, we're all learning. Um, that I do think, you know, a really good offensive coordinator will try and isolate him. He's a good, he's a good linebacker. I'm glad he got a, he got a ride, didn't he? I hope so. Okay. Good God. Um, no, but I'm, I'm glad that he's on the team. I still worry about linebacker depth. And even though they, they look good, and Court did as well, but don't you think that a good offensive coordinator is going to try and isolate a really good athlete with him? I would. Yeah, I would too. Yeah. Well, look, man, we we could probably talk about 35 more guys. I mean, I, I counted it up, and 27 different defenders registered something on the box score, which was absolutely awesome. Yeah. Right? And that, that is one of the advantages for the defense – of your offense blowing people out early because then you can play everybody and you can develop depth. And right. of course you get to play with a lead, which is a huge advantage. Uh, that, so I give a little, another hat tip to your I mean, Ash, I'm sure is thankful that, you know, it's 45 to three at halftime. And I got to say as bad as UTEP was, and let me be clear for on behalf of both me and Kevin, UTEP was real bad. Awful. Uh, but the beauty of being up 45 to three is Dude, that is the kind of team so many times in the last, not just three years, but the last seven years, we would have screwed around and it would have been 14 to 10 in the middle of the second quarter, right? And then Sam would have led us on a two-minute drill drive and it's 21-10 at halftime and then we win the game 42-17, right? Right. And it's like, you don't learn anything from that. You don't create any aggression, any identity, any swagger. And I just think, the Texas coaches at the coordinator level got after it and they sold Tom Herman on it. And I think the players loved it. I think it's, I think it's really exciting to be a second or third teamer and know that you're going to actually run the offense and you're going to go out there and try, and you're not just going to run fullback dives into the middle of the formation. Yeah, no, it's also about getting better. And no, I, I man, I, I feel really good about both coordinators. Once again, Paul and I, uh, we are not prisoners of the moment. This is kind of stuff I think we had been thinking and feeling, and we understand it's only 
one game. So that could easily change uh, within within two weeks, which is when Texas plays next. But you just got to kind of, you know, if you do see stuff that looks good, then you, you got to give it credit. And they just looked both both uh, sides looked really well coordinated. Okay, you know who didn't look well coordinated? Let's see if we can fit this in. The rest of the Big 12. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God, dude. Um, so you you hit Houston Baptist and Texas Tech a little bit. I don't have anything to add. Well, I've got one I'm, more thing was, to add to I that. I was stunned by that result. Yeah, I've got one more thing to add to that, and that is, do you know the only – so UTEP is coming off of – they were 0-12 three years ago. Then Demo got the job. They went – one and eleven, his first year. Last year, yep. his second year, they went one and eleven. Do you know who that one was against? Houston Baptist, close game. Houston Baptist, but that just kind of goes to show you, you know, we we've got actually a closer transitive property here with the fact that those two teams played each other last year and both really sucked, and now Texas and Texas Tech played them. Uh, this last week so yeah I've got nothing to add to that uh, except Sam and Yursich got a they're gonna love film watching that yeah well I watched Louisiana versus Iowa State and it was shocking because I thought Iowa State was gonna be pretty good this year and albeit they were out without Charlie Kolar their star tight end who is a very good player yeah that that but wasn't Iowa, gonna win that though because they couldn't block they couldn't well their receivers could not separate, Kevin. No. Louisiana, their secondary ran press coverage, and they completely dominated the Iowa State receivers. I mean, utter domination. I, I, you would have sworn to God that they were playing Alabama. Yeah. No, no. I mean, it, we, we talk about press. Their press was really damn impressive, and I didn't mean to do that. Um, and their defense overall, I mean, they got after it. The, the shock, most shocking thing about that was that wasn't an upset. If you watch the, if, right. I mean, if you I watch was the watching game. the game and I was like, okay, this isn't Iowa State just like unprepared and, and tripping on their their own nuts. It was they got. Um, I can tell you the the Louisiana secondary physically dominated Iowa State's receivers. Yeah, and because of that, they were able to get some pressure on Purdy, who ended up having a terrible box score. I mean, he his box score was awful, and he looked awful in the game. So. I don't, I don't, and Iowa State's defense played pretty well. They gave up one big uh, kill shot touchdown pass, but I well, mean, two uh, of those scores were on returns. Paul, yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, two of those scores were on returns. Oh, yes, I saw one of them. I didn't see the other return. Yeah, um, so the Iowa State defense probably didn't feel it as much. And look, I mean. Brees Hall was able to get 103 yards, but you're right. The lack of separation with the press, and they were able to get some pressure. Uh, 31-14, that's crazy. Wow. Yeah, well, another crazy one. This might have even been worse. Arkansas State traveled to Kansas State. I didn't find out this out until after the game. They were out eight starters. Yeah, I know. And they still whipped Kansas State. What the hell? Well, and th so this was more like their offense, they, they got after him. Um, what the hell is Kansas State just did not look good at all, obviously, uh, even though they scored 31 points. Uh, I mean, th they had actually the kid from around this area, Deuce Vaughn, looks like he's going to be uh, – he looks like Sproles. He's that small. He looks like he's going to be a pretty good young back. But 
I'll get back to offensive line. Um, that you know, you've got young, inexperienced offensive lines at schools mm-hmm. like that. Uh, those those were my worries about both programs, and they're only added to it uh, after kind of what they uh, what they played or how they played this last weekend. But Arkansas State flat out beat them. I mean, you had the two returns, but physically they matched up, and that receiver they have is an absolute beast. The guy who's one hand and stuff. Uh, who is that? Is that Jonathan Adams? Jonathan Adams. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he scored three touchdowns. So here's a, a, a nutty thing. They had four different players throw passes. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think one of them was a running back or a receiver. I'm not sure. Yeah, one of them was a receiver. But, th- I mean, they threw for 300-plus yards uh, and, and five touchdown passes. And they ran the ball well. They had a running back named Jamal Jones, average almost six yards a carry, they had another dude uh, bust off a long run. I mean, this was not some weird freakish thing. It, it looked like the better team, at least on that day, won. I mean, there were, it was not like, oh, my God, what happened? You know, this is not Appalachian State, Michigan. This was a better football team beating a uh, team that, you know, I predicted Kansas State was going to take a step back this year. I did not predict they would take this kind of step back. I so had... the Big 12, no bueno. I had no idea. I had them as my wild card, and I meant that truly. Like either way, uh, because of the offensive line. But I thought their I thought their defense was definitely going to look better than that. Kind of the way they finished last uh, last year. So I was surprised on that front. But I didn't know. I didn't know exactly kind of which way they were going to lean, and they're not leaning in a uh, in a good direction right now. You're right. They had some dudes. I mean, not only Jonathan Adams, who is a man. He looks like a, a Sunday type guy. Jamal Jones, like you mentioned, he had six per carry. Uh, Lincoln, I think it's Pear or Pare, uh, had 58. Uh, had that long of 58, and he had 65 yards. Yeah, they, they got after him, and they were definitely creative offensively. So, man, not a good look. Probably not the biggest shocker that Kansas lost to Coastal Carolina, but they lost by 15, man. They got, like, handled. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and this is the second year in a row they've lost to the Chanticleers. Oh. So, I don't, and the last year was a defensive struggle, Kevin, if you'll recall, 12-7. to 7. So, Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I, I don't, don't, I don't know what to say about the Big 12 other than it's real bad. And uh, oh, well, OU obviously played. Did you see any of that game? I didn't see anything but a couple of highlights. No, I only saw highlights because it was pay-per-view. But the highlights early on, the uh, only person that had a better, probably a better half in the conference, and Spencer Rattler was Sam. But Rattler, I mean, he was in and out, 14-17 for 290 and four touchdowns. Seth McGowan is a back who I know they're pretty excited about. Rambo looked the part. I mean, it's Missouri State, but just like we said with UTEP, they kind of did everything they needed to. And for me, the bigger bigger question was, does Missouri State, are they able to get 10 or 13 or, or, or even 21 against that defense that's missing so many guys? They shut them out. Yeah, they did. Uh, I don't know what that means, to be honest. I don't either. Because we also didn't watch it. I suspect Missouri State's not even as good as UTEP. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. That'd be my guess. But then again, my guess would have been UTEP with five active NFL players has been better than the two wins the last three years. Yeah, well, that's true. I I think some of those active players came from prior to the Dimmel destruction, but – yeah, I, 
I don't know. I don't. I don't have any idea. I know Louisiana was like an eleven-game winning team last year, and in their little world, they're they're pretty good. But I don't. I can't. I don't can't claim to know shit about Missouri State. But yeah, OU handled them. They did what they're supposed to do. Obviously, whatever happens, they're gonna they're gonna have an offense, and Texas yeah. better be able. They better come loaded for bear and score points in Dallas. But I still think that lack of depth on the defensive line is going to show up for them. And the Caleb Kelly blowing out his knee, that kind of stuff. So we'll see. But, man, the Big 12 is ripe for the taking. Uh, did you happen to see how the Big 10 is trying to scamper and scatter and run and try to save face and actually try to play football? Yeah, they are. But I'm thinking it's almost going to be too late. We're seeing a lot of these guys opt out now. I saw Sean Wade from Ohio State did that. But we'd seen a lot of Pac-12 guys do that. I love how people are opting out. I'm like, opting out? You guys aren't playing. Uh, the Big Ten. Well, you can opt back in, as LSU has had a few guys opt back in. I guess they uh, had a couple of chats with alumni and a couple of handshakes with some cash in them, right? Yeah, right. Who opted back in for LSU? I didn't see that. Uh, Shelvin. Okay, Tyler Shelvin, the defensive lineman. Yeah, and then I think one other big defensive lineman. I can't remember his name. They're, they've got like five of those dudes, and I, I confuse them all. So. Well, hey, I, I tell you what, you know that they're really putting the cash out if Chase comes back. <laughs> Jamar Chase, they, they're going to give him a condo in Destin and a, and a golf stream if he'll come back. But yeah, I think that guy's sitting out and he's going to he's going to go in, in round one. But uh, yeah, uh, well, I'm, I'm just amused by the Big Ten because they're pretending like there's new medical data. Oh, I know. Firing the decision. And it's it's just so laughable. It's so transparent. And now they're having to explain to some of their outraged posturing fans who've been on Twitter hectoring everyone like school moms about <laughs> the dangers. And uh, now they're having to explain to those fans that, uh, about those dangers. <laughs> it turns out we're going to play because Nebraska, Ohio State, Iowa, Purdue, uh, those teams are going apeshit right now, and it might actually rip the conference asunder. Too funny. Well, ho- hopefully it'll hopefully it'll be back. I mean, in all seriousness, I mean, I I would like to get them back, but there's already been a lot of guys or some guys, very top guys that have opted out. We'll see if Micah Parsons at Penn State if that changes his mind at all. But what it could do is it could make it a lot tougher for Texas. You know, I mean, traditionally you obviously root. I know that sounds weird. You don't don't even have to root, but it's beneficial for you if your conference opponents do very well in the non-conference, correct? Yeah, that is correct. And then you hope you beat their brains out and then your strength of schedule is even higher than it should be. And that could be when maybe there's five power fives competing for four. Well, if the Big Ten does come back and they're involved in that, all of a sudden you've got four competing for four, and that's where you wonder if a two-loss Big 12 champion if they're really going to get screwed with the only, there's only one conference, major conference, that has data against, that's going to have one week of data against teams outside of their conference. And it's the Big 12. And it, I mean, people are laughing around the country about how shitty this conference is. Yeah, that data ain't good. And uh, everyone, look, I've seen Northwestern back in the Pat Fitzgerald days, the linebacker Pat Fitzgerald. Uh, what they lost under Gary Barnett, an opener against some terrible team. I can't remember. And then they went, they went on to win the Big Ten, right? Yeah. So you can improve. You can have an opening day jitters. And, you know, Texas has shown that with Maryland, right? 
But, boy, that looked awful for the Big 12. And, look, you can erase all doubts by just going undefeated. And if Texas can do that, then they're good to go. They're not going to be left out of the playoff discussion. And you're going to have, you know, you're going to have some other team, some other conference feel the brunt of that. But, yeah, I, I just – I just think it's right for the taking. We'll see what happens. Do we want to do a quick rundown of, because uh, obviously we've got two weeks before Tech in Lubbock. Do we want to talk a little bit real quickly about injuries, B.J. Foster, any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, let's get to that quickly, though. That I think that was the 95 Northwestern team you're talking about. They beat Notre Dame, who was in the top 10, and then lost to Miami of Ohio. That's it. They lost to Miami of Ohio. Yeah. yeah, they beat Notre Dame. And then ran the table, uh, and I think they lost to USC in the Rose Bowl. But they got to the Rose Bowl. And for, Sean Johnson went crazy on them. Right. But, I mean, if you're from a certain era, not that you think that Northwestern is a big power, but it may not be shocking for them to even have a good year. This was like one of the losingest football programs for a long, long-ass time. I had family that lived near Evanston in, in the north side of Chicago, and – like, you went by that stadium. I'm telling you, like, Westlake Stadium felt almost as big. Oh, yeah. And yeah. This, I, I mean, mean th- Northwestern this was, was a, 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 the ultimate laughing stock. And, you know, there was serious discussion of why are we even playing football? Yeah. And, you know, they were so bad. There were discussions of, like, is it dangerous for us to have our, our team right. so bad playing football? And, uh, you know, they turned it around under Gary Barnett. I'm stunned. I'm pissed. It's Mac Brown, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know. How crazy is that? Uh, Barnett was up for that job and a, a lot of people. And I think going back, I think I think I, I would have been pro Barnett to get that job as well uh, at the time. So no, at the time he was he was the Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. Right? He yeah. Was the no, no shit. Gotta hire this guy. How could you not? And you never know, man. Horseshoes and hand grenades. Nothing's guaranteed. Yeah, would have been in- interesting to see how that would have played out. Not as interesting as if they would have hired Jimmy Johnson about ten years before, but we can save oh my God. we can save that for another podcast. Here's a guy who plays like he could have been on one of those Jimmy Johnson teams. Uh, that's B.J. Foster getting more talk about his off the field look. You know, we had said Foster is going to be a backup, and I think you, you thought that Foster was probably going to you know, back up a lot of different positions, and that made sense to me. I saw Montrell Estelle get in there. I saw some guys get in that I was a little surprised that I hadn't seen him yet. Apparently he was surprised and definitely not happy about it because he quit the team. Now, I saw Anwar reported, I guess, Sunday that he was already lifting weights again, and, and then at that point I guess he's just back. Tom Herman talked about it a little bit today. Your thoughts on that, just to kind of set the set the scene for people that don't know. Yeah, I'm surprised and uh, seemed a bit of out of character for a guy who's shown himself to play hard, play injured, you know, kind of give his all. He's got a very blue-collar mentality on the field, so it was surprising. But suggests to me that there was maybe a lack of communication with him about what his role was going to look like, what his minutes were going to look like, right, in terms of playing and – and I don't know if that was a, because there was some transgression and they were punishing him, right, and not allowing him to get those second-team snaps or get in the rotation with the starters. But I have no idea what happened. But, yeah, he quit during the third quarter, uh, obviously was apologetic and returned right away. He, he, it was kind of an impulsive thing. 
I'm not going to sit in judgment of it. Obviously, that's not a good thing to do, and it's certainly not a good thing to do during a football game. But it's just a different generation, man. It's just it's a, it's a lot more impulsive, and it's it's a social media sort of generation, and it's there's just a sort of you don't sublimate anything, right? You don't yeah. hold anything in, right? And it's it's hard for me to relate to those guys because I come from the ultimate hold it in sort of background and, and upbringing. And I know you probably had a similar one yep. and it's, you know, but he's a good guy and he's a good football player. So I hope we can bring him back and tell him that, uh, you know, that stuff can't happen again, obviously. Yeah. I would like to see him because I, mean, I, I still think he could have a role. We talked about linebacker, even almost like a hybrid linebacker in certain games with certain matchups. So uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm the same way, man. I don't know exactly what went on, so I'm glad to have him back. And hopefully he can earn earn some minutes. I am a little surprised that they're at a spot where they don't need B.J. Foster. Obviously, maybe he's not grasping something with the new system, or I don't know what – I don't know why Chris Ash and, and the secondary coach, why they wouldn't look at that and say, well, I mean – this guy, this guy deserves some minutes, but obviously, like I said, yeah, we don't know. It's all conjecture, right? It's like right. Juwan Mitchell. They could have broken a rule, yeah, right, two exactly. days before the game, and this was their punishment. So right. who knows? So Jordan Whittington, what yeah. a bummer, man. Yeah, it sucks. He is. But is is we, he? We talked about this. We knew this was going to happen. I mean, yeah, is he wound too tight? Rod was kind of talking about that today. You know, he's got his his weightlifting uh, brother. And, I mean, he definitely looks the part, but I don't know. I mean, to talk about conjecture, I mean, who knows. But right now, unfortunately, the label for him would be a lot like it was for Jordan Shipley early on, and that is the early time he's been on campus. We're really excited about him, but he can't stay on the field. No, and I, I would tend to attribute it more to the hernia. I mean, that's been an issue for him ongoing since his junior year of high school. He's had multiple unsuccessful hernia corrective surgeries. It seems like the last one took. But that's going to cause a lot of downstream issues, right? So your body's a system, right? It's, 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 why it's the stupidity of like a bodybuilding workout for football players. Like today we're going to do arms. We're going to do biceps, right? It's like what you should be doing is working your whole body together. And Whittington has been kind of deprived of that. And the only thing he can do is kind of like bodybuilding stuff, right? Because yeah. he's, he's not able to do power cleans and squats and, and deadlifts because of the hernia. And I think his body got out of balance. And I think he's going to feel the downstream effects of that for a while until he can restore that and get into a proper S&C conditioning program. And that's my baseless conjecture. But I just wish him the best. He's a talented guy, and I'd love to see him. Yeah, and then hopefully Jake Smith will be healthy. My guess is he probably could have gone this game had they uh, they knew this was going to be a blowout. But we got to see Kai Money, but Jake Smith should be that guy filling that role. Biggest surprise about Kai Money, that he caught four balls in the touchdown, or he's a white guy from Brownsville? A white guy from Brownsville who is apparently pre-med. That is the correct answer. <laughs> yeah. Not even close, dude. You tell me a dude named Kai Money is playing receiver for Texas? Uh, I, I, I apologize for my stereotypical brain, but come on. <laughs> that was the coolest name ever. That's awesome. Yeah, he ran some good routes. Well, hey, I tell you what, if you've, if you've uh, got some money and you want to save it or you want to make a little bit more, 
we've got your guides. David McClellan, he was he was money as a Texas swimmer, won multiple national championships, uh, but lots of people, obviously, with what's going on in the last couple of months and just in general. Um, some people have had their retirement plans derailed. If that's the case, get in touch with them. He'll give you a free consultation, free consultation, and also, also uh, get you your financial freedom number. So David's a really damn good fiduciary financial advisor from Forum Financial. He's kind of seen every part of the business. And if he's giving you a free consultation, you just mentioned the podcast, that means that you're going to get a health check and uh, a wealth check, I should say, and kind of see where you're at there. But it's free. You should definitely give him a call. Really good guy. 312-933-8823. 312-933-8823. Or McClellan at formfin.com. Awesome. You guys need to reach out to him and get some good financial health and wealth check. I love that, Kevin. And yeah. something else that you'll love, in addition to Texas blitzing UTEP, Notre Dame wide receiver Chase Claypool with two catches for 39 yards already in the first half for the Steelers. Is he on your fantasy team? No, but he's on your fantasy team. He went to Notre Dame. You love him. Yeah, I do. I, I think that uh, I actually think he's going to be a, a damn good pro receiver. Uh, physically, he uh, he plays the part. So, uh, anything else here, man? Nope, he's no Kai Money, but let's just agree to disagree. Nah, whatever. Uh, this was fun, man. This flew by. We're we're well over an hour. Yeah, this is fun. It's fun to actually have football to talk about. We will have a bye week next week. Obviously, we'll find plenty to talk about. And uh, we got Tech up in Lubbock, so let's uh, keep it up. And uh, this has been fun. Y'all take care.